0: Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm really excited because I think this is going to be kind of a fun one today. So we're just going to jump right in. For all of you out there who absolutely love doing your scientific writing, or at least those of you who never think of it as something that's hard, my hat is off to you because that is not me at all. Which brings us to today's topic, writer's block. Now, I'm expanding the meaning of this a little for the purpose of the episode. We're not just going to address when you sit down to write and feel like you have nothing to say. We're also going to talk about when you're putting off the writing, especially if you keep putting it off because it feels too hard. So for the former type, I'll be honest, my brain offers this to me every week. As soon as I finish writing a podcast episode, my brain likes to offer to me that I have nothing left to say, all the topics have been covered, I have no new ideas. When I have thoughts like that, they feel like they're just facts, that they're just the truth. I'm savvy enough by now, though, to know that A, they are not facts, and B, thinking things like this is entirely unhelpful to me. It's not just unhelpful, it's sabotaging. So now whenever I have a thought like that, I just remind myself that I always find a topic. I always get it done. But it got me thinking about the latter type of writer's block, the kind where you're just putting it off and putting it off because it feels hard. So we're gonna mostly focus on that today. One basic assumption we're gonna have for today's conversation is that you would like the result that your work is published. Let's leave out the details, just the basic premise that if you could look ahead to the future and you learn that your manuscript was already published, that would be a good thing and you would feel happy about it. And we're also going to assume that all that's left to do is the writing. You've completed all the data collection. You've gotten all your stats. We'll even throw in the tables and figures. We'll say your amazing statistician did them for you. So you have everything you need. You just haven't written it. Okay, great. So we're in agreement that it's ready to be written, and you would be happy to see it published. So, why hasn't it happened? This is not a scolding disguised as a rhetorical question. It's an actual question. What are the reasons it isn't already done? The first reason most people are going to say is they don't have time. Now, bear with me for a minute, but that's nonsense. Every single person on the planet has the exact same amount of time in a day. We all have 24 hours. Based on the volume of new papers that are published every month, I think it's safe to say that plenty of folks out there are getting their manuscripts done, right? They have 24 hours in a day, you have 24 hours in a day. Now, right about now, your brain is probably revving up a whole bunch of arguments. Like, those people probably have protected time for writing and I don't. Well, sure, some of them probably do, and some of them definitely don't just like you. Or, those people don't have as much clinic responsibility as I do. Well, some probably don't. And, again, probably some have even more than you. Or, those people probably don't have the kind of responsibilities outside of work that I have. Which is undoubtedly true for some of the authors, and undoubtedly true that there are plenty who have as many responsibilities as you, and some who have even more. See how this works, It's just simply not true to say you don't have time. Let's say this particular manuscript is gonna take you about 25 hours total, give or take, to write. And let's remember that unlike submitting an abstract for a meeting, getting the manuscript done generally doesn't have a concrete deadline. It's usually whatever deadline you want. So if you knew it was going to take about 25 hours, you could certainly plot out 25 hours on your calendar to block for writing time and then set your personal deadline to be around whatever future date that would be. So once again, believing you don't have time is just nonsense because you could create the time. You could make it happen for whatever timeline you wanted. So you got to let that go. It's illogical and it's sabotaging you. Now that we've established that not only you want the result of it being published and you do have time, why aren't you using your time for this? And again, this is not a scolding disguised as a rhetorical question, it's a real question. I'll give you the short answer first, which is that you're choosing not to allocate your time to it. Now, sometimes that's intentional and sometimes it isn't. When it's intentional, It might be based in a decision that supports your values and your overall life goals. And when it's that way, of course it's a good thing. If your time management scheme is anything along the lines of the Monday Hour One framework, something where you calendar everything and you honor your calendar, those types of decisions that you made when you were putting your calendar together come from logic and not from emotion, and they're designed by you to serve your needs. So they're great. So if your work calendar is filled with tasks that you value as much as or more than getting this paper done, and from here on out, I'm probably going to shorthand call it a paper, but of course you can apply this to any work-related writing that just doesn't seem to be getting done. But anyway, those other things that are filling the time are currently more time sensitive. Well, that makes sense to a point. This is where we have to watch out for that thing where something without a concrete deadline never feels time-sensitive, so it always gets pushed to the bottom of the list. I'm using the word list figuratively here, but for me, this is an actual list. My organizational system is a hybrid of to-do list and calendar. The to-do list is organized by urgency and importance, and the calendar has chunks of time to be used for anything on the list. Typically, I make the decision on the day of what things I'm going to pull from the list and what things I'm going to do during that chunk of time. But sometimes I will block them out on the calendar in advance, especially when it's something that's going to take a good chunk of time and I need to make sure that I don't give that time up for something else. When I was first starting to use the to-do list that I use now, I learned that it has this feature where you can put things in a section without dates or a level of priority. So that's where you would put things that are not at all time sensitive and don't feel incredibly important right now, but you'd like to get done someday. But I pretty quickly learned that that section is not for me. If I'm relegating things to the bottom of the list, and the funny thing is that section is literally at the bottom, they don't ever get done so I just don't even use that section anymore. I've decided that if it's important enough to make it onto the list at all, it's important enough for me to give it a deadline, even if that deadline's a little bit floaty. But anyway, whatever your system is, you don't want this to be just sitting at the bottom of your figurative or literal list. This is why I recommend taking that first step, giving yourself a reasonable estimate of how much time it will take plotting out all of that time on your calendar in such a way that it doesn't encroach on other activities any more than you're comfortable with, then set your personal deadline. And now it is time-sensitive because it has a deadline. And if you don't have an organizational system yet, go back and listen to episode 16 again and get yourself a system. I promise you there is no perfect one. You just need to pick something, try it out, and revise it a little until it works for you. So then. If it's on your calendar or your bullet journal or your to-do list or whatever system you have for knowing what you need to do when, you're going to do it because you're working on becoming the kind of person who honors their commitments to themselves as much as they honor their commitments to other people. I don't know about all of you, but thinking that sentence feels really good to me. It feels validating and empowering. If it doesn't give you quite the same feelings, reword it or tweak it until it's in your own voice and gives you similar feelings. But what about if the decision to not use your time for this paper was unintentional, meaning you didn't think it through and consciously decide to allocate your time to other things? There are a couple different ways that might be happening. One is you just didn't think about it at all. It wasn't even on your radar. Well, that's easy enough to fix. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you have at least one or two things that you would like to get written, but you just haven't done yet. And you haven't really made any plan for doing them either. So great. Hit pause, write them down. Now that you know what things you want to get written, it's easy enough to give yourself 30 minutes, maybe 60 to plot out how long they'll take and schedule that time with yourself. Cool. So that part's easy. Okay, what if it is on your calendar, but you aren't doing it when the time comes? There are a couple reasons why that may be happening. We'll go with the easy one first. The way you have it on your calendar is too vague. It shows up on your list as work on X project. Nope, this is not the best way to word something on your calendar or your agenda. When the time comes to, quote, work on the project, your brain is going to try and trick you into being confused. You'll think, I don't know where to start. I don't know which section is most important. I don't know how long any of this is going to take. I don't know what I can get done in this amount of time, blah, blah, blah. So what you do put on the calendar is the outcome that you will have achieved by the end of that time block. Instead of work on the project, you're going to write, intro is written and has been checked for typos, or table one has been completed. Pick whatever you're going to have done and plunk it into your calendar. And you decide ahead of time how long it's going to take you. Now, here's another thing. Your brain is going to try and tell you that you don't know how long it's going to take. And that's when it's time for a little tough love. This is where you just have to flat out reject that idea. You get to decide how long it's going to take, and then you will make that happen. So as proof that you can, think about all those times you've been in a meeting where the agenda was kind of loosey-goosey and it was booked for an hour and the meeting magically took an hour. We're really, really good at unconsciously making things fit into the blocks of time that they're allocated for, and you can learn how to be consciously good at that too. So another reason you might not be honoring it when it comes up on your calendar is if it feels hard and you're routinely scheduling it at times when you don't have the fortitude to tackle something that feels hard. For me, one example of that is the post-call day. One of the silver linings of taking 24-hour in-house calls is that you have random weekdays with no scheduled clinical activities. Now, most of the time I need that day for resting and recovering, but every now and then I might sleep all night and then I get this bonus day. But I've learned for me personally, post-call days might seem like a great place to schedule tasks that might be hard to fit into my calendar otherwise, but it, they really are not a good place for that. I can plan on tackling a couple of short, brainless autopilot tasks, but that's about it. Because one of the smartest and most loving things I can do for myself is to protect my resting time. I'm just really not likely to turn out my best work if I'm trying to do it when I'm tired and I really need to sleep. And if I'm trying to push through and do it anyway when I have physiologic needs that haven't been met, the project becomes the enemy because it's standing between me and sleep and I definitely don't want it to be the enemy. So on a smaller, more general scale, just Things that feel hard are best scheduled for when you have your most creative energy. Okay, how about you have calendared this for a very reasonable time when you usually have plenty of creative energy and what you've planned to do is a specific measurable task, but when the time comes, it still just feels like it's too hard. Why does it feel too hard? Chances are it's because of some stories that you're telling yourself. You might not be totally aware of what the stories are. It might just feel like a sort of, it's too hard. But if you stop and ask yourself why, why is this hard? Here are some of the common ones that come up for a lot of people. I'm not good at this. I don't know where to start. I don't know what I want to say. It's going to be a waste of time because it won't be good enough. Things like that. And here's the fun part where you get to practice your self-coaching skills. If you've been listening for any length of time at all, I'm sure you can work through each of those thoughts and figure out what emotions they create and the actions and inactions that come from those emotions, etc. So you all know that thoughts like these will conjure up emotions like feeling inadequate, underqualified, overwhelmed, self-doubting, things that do not exactly kickstart your creative process. So this is great news. It really is because now you know why it feels hard. And once you figure that out, it's a pretty simple process to figure out what kinds of thoughts would make it not feel so hard. You might be able to craft a replacement thought that already feels believable and true to you, or you might have to do what I think of as trying on someone else's thought. Instead of thinking, I'm not good at this, you might decide to replace that with, everyone can do this. Instead of thinking, I don't know where to start, You might replace that with, there's no right or wrong place to start. Whatever I choose will get me closer to my goal. Instead of, I don't know what I want to say, you might ask yourself what someone who feels really confident about this does as their process and what they might be thinking. Like for me, I tend to think that writing the discussion is really hard. So if I try and imagine someone who thinks that writing the discussion is easy, well, how does it seem easy to them? Oh, well, they probably do something like starting with the strengths and limitations because those are pretty straightforward, right? Your strengths are all the things you're proud of, where your design was solid and your methods paid off. Your limitations are the things you wish you could have accomplished but just weren't within the scope this time, the things that didn't quite go to plan, things a future study will probably want to build on, and everyone's favorite, trying to predict what the reviewers are going to pick on and preemptively point out that you are aware of those flaws and here's why you weren't able to avoid them. So once you get going with those, the rest of it just kind of flows. And how about that last thought? It's going to be a waste of time because it won't be good enough. How about replacing that with, I have lots of resources I can use to make this good enough. Research is rarely a solo activity. You almost always have collaborators who can and will give you feedback. And if you feel like it needs an impartial set of eyes, how about making a deal with a colleague that if they review this paper for you, you'll repay the favor for them. And here's one that might seem sort of cringy, but if you have a manuscript that's rejected, the reviewers usually give plenty of very specific feedback and that's your fuel for making it better when you submit it to the next journal. Two last thoughts that I want to share. These are ones that I've borrowed from other people and I have found them to be really helpful. These are for when it's not just my writing that I'm feeling doubtful about, but the research itself. If it's something that's gotten a rejection or two and I'm starting to wonder if the topic is important enough to get published, I remind myself that there is a journal out there for every manuscript. I think I had one paper that I revised and rewrote for five different journals before it got accepted. But that last word is the key one, it was accepted. I got the satisfaction of feeling that the project was completed and now it's searchable and it's on my CV. The other thought is for when I'm feeling a bit weary about the amount of work involved, especially if it was a negative study or something, the thought I remind myself is it is unethical to do research and not share your results. If you did this work, you have a duty to your community of investigators to put it out there, what you did and what your results were, so that others don't spend time doing something that's already been done. That one really works for me because teamwork and community are things that are core values for me, so appealing to those really resonates with me. And to wrap up, if you want some help working on your writer's block, you know where to find me. I hope you all have a great week, and I will see you back next time. opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.